Cahal Summers. And I'm Georgia Glenn. Your Chagas Sustainability Advisors. And you're welcome to the Chagas Environment Edge podcast, bringing you the latest information, science and opinion to improve farm sustainability. On this episode, Ken Buck, Forestry Inspector in the Environment Section of the Department of Agriculture, chats to us about the environmental benefits and options of planting forests on the farm. Why would you consider the native woodland planting scheme and what's it all about? Have some forests been planted in the wrong place in the past? And if so, what's been done to improve environmental outcomes into the future? I started off by asking Ken, what is his role in the forest services? Well, I suppose the forest service is a division of the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine, and we're responsible for the regulation and promotion of forestry. Um, so we implement the Forestry Act and we ensure compliance with the forestry aspects of other various pieces of legislation, for example, the Water Framework Directive, Habitats Directive, Plant Health Regulations and that kind of thing. So in addition to that, we're also responsible for the various forestry schemes that you'll be familiar with. So within the Forest Service, then, I'm an inspector in the environment section. Uh, I work mainly on water protection, um, both where forestry is a pressure, but I also work with the promotion of, uh, of the use of woodland for water protection. So in both of those roles, I work uh, on supporting colleagues who are assessing licenses and incidents, uh, as well as uh, working on the schemes and new procedures and that. I also do a lot of work with other agencies like yourselves, obviously, um, and working in, uh, on the delivery of various aspects of the um, River Basin Management Plan for Ireland. So I work on the, the, the various regional operational committees, uh, the Blue Dot Programme and that kind of thing. Yeah, Ken, I suppose over the last number of years now at this stage, we, we've been looking to, you know, about carbon emissions and sequestration and water quality and biodiversity. Uh, I suppose forestry seem to be both a pressure and an ecosystem service. Can you tell me maybe what are the common water quality issues associated with forestry and, and has the forestry service put mitigation, I suppose, in place to reduce the impact? Um, yeah, well, I, I suppose maybe if, to, to answer that question, support maybe to give it a context. So... Uh, give forestry context, I should say. So forestry is a significant land use. It covers about 11% of the land area in Ireland, and it's uh, worth about 2.3 billion euros a year to the Irish economy and um, provides 12,000 jobs. So it's regulated under the Forestry Act of 2014 and SI191 of 2017. And under that, um, there are a number of forestry operations that are regulated. So afforestation, um, thinning and felling, and reforestation, and forestry roadworks and uh, to a lesser extent than aerial fertilization, but we don't really get many license applications for that anymore. So under that, there are 3.5 million uh, cubic meters of timber harvested every year through several thousand licenses that the department issues. We also get about six to 700 uh, road license applications received every year. So it's important to say, I think that where issues do arise, it's, it's on the vast, it, it's a very small minority of sites, I think, considering the, the, the size and the number of operations being carried out. But I think it's also important to give a bit of, a bit of history in terms of uh, forestry in Ireland. So the state undertook really a program of afforestation after the creation of the foundation of the state, because it's, well, at the turn of the last century, or 1900s, only about um, 1% of, of the, the country was covered in forest. So in the 1930s, um, there was the, the state embarked on a programme of afforestation. And at the time, I suppose, uh, right up through to the 80s, really, there was, forestry was targeted on peat sites and upland peats and the kind of land that would have been not used for agriculture, really. So I suppose we were trying to get and um, promote, uh, you know, rural jobs in areas that maybe land, agricultural land was used for food production and the other land was used for everything else, I guess, was the, was the objectives. 
So that carried on then um, up until, I suppose, through the, the 1980s. Then we saw, I suppose, the first of the private uh, afforestation, really, and that kind of commenced with the Western package. And again, that was on Pete's and nine to the Western seaboard uh, counties again. And then really we started to introduce um, new regulations and guidelines in around setbacks and everything else only really started to come in the 1990s so forestry because it's long term a lot of what we're dealing with these days are sites that were planted you know decades ago and they're coming up for harvesting now on on these upland peat sites so you know now if we're planting a site you know these um we have new environmental requirements for afforestation we have land types for afforestation which keeps us out of these upland peats so we would have anywhere on a, on a mineral soil now if we were planting we would have a minimum 10 meter setback on the, on mineral soils and that would extend out to anywhere to, to 25 meters and we have other tools like the, the native woodland scheme you know to use for additional buffers and everything else so really when we're regulating or where we're, um, these forestry operations become a pressure quite often it's on these upland sites where we have issues with uh, trees that are planted without setbacks and there's issues with siltation that are rising, you know. So we have now, as well as important to say, up until 2017, we were working off the 1946 Forestry Act, which is quite old legislation. It was quite black and white. It um, really was just where trees were felled, they have to be replanted. With the new um, Forestry Act that came in, um, it commenced in 2017, 24 Act, it gives us a lot more flexibility when it comes to the licensing. And we also have a, a felling and reforestation policy, which was launched uh, coincident with SI191 of 2017. So now when these areas are felled, we have the opportunities to go back in and restructure these, these forests. So we can put in setbacks where there weren't setbacks before. We can change the species and we can even remove areas from forestry, uh, from permanent forest cover, if you like, um, for overriding environmental considerations. So, you know, um, Quilche themselves have set up a new uh, not-for-profit not um, unit within Quilche, which are looking at some of these areas, doing a lot of work on, on uh, conversion to native woodland. So the department here actually, uh, we can talk about it later, but actually grant aid the conversion of conifer forest to native woodland in these areas if it's, if it's to occur. So I suppose that there are two things, I suppose there are kind of two areas, two eras in, in kind of Irish forestry, there's these original plantings which happened in, in these upland peats, and uh, which, we're, which we're left managing now. And um, they're also then, you know, the newer planting, which is undertaken now on agricultural land in line with the environmental requirements for afforestation, the land types for, for um, afforestation, that kind of thing. Um, the land types for afforestation, I suppose, just to mention it briefly, it was, um, a piece of work that was done with, with your colleagues in Chagas, uh, led by Niall Farrelly, actually, and it's a plant-based scoring system for, for productivity, and it essentially takes us out of these uh, blanket bog areas, you know. That's a good news story, because I suppose in the priority areas for action, where, say, myself and Deirdre are working to improve water quality, yeah, that, that old forestry, maybe 30, 40 years ago, is planting those incorrect areas up on top of hills, maybe on um, bogs, yeah, when they do get cut, you do see that sedimentation coming down. And so it's great to hear that that mitigation's in place to avoid that, that going forward. Yeah, like it, obviously it provides us an opportunity, you know, to, to restructure these areas when they come in for, for harvesting and for replanting. And like I said, there's grant aid there to help with the restructuring sometimes if native woodlands are planted. Um, something obviously we're working on with the Blue Dot uh, program as well and looking at these areas where we can try and identify areas for uh, conversion to native woodland if it's appropriate or even just quite often it's putting in the buffer and 
which might be bolstered or you know strengthened with an area of native woodland planted on top with it with it as well but there obviously there are there are constraints you know with planting native woodland in terms of deer pressure and elevation and soil types and that kind of thing so it's not always possible but you know some areas that would just be left unplanted or with bigger setbacks and that kind of thing but you know with the licensing process as well it's um it's, it's become much more robust and you know we have a lot of measures and tools that we can use in terms of you know applying mitigation for harvesting operations and everything else as well you know in terms of still fences and uh, leaky dams and that kind of thing too so working quite closely with the catchment scientists who are working on lot with law pro and with yourselves um you know we, we're kind of identifying more and more of these areas where you know um better or more robust mitigation might be required and it's great to have that uh, link in with the, with the likes of yourselves and with fisheries and and the local authorities and everything else and you know the connections we've developed through the regional operation committees and everything else i think are really important because you know, now we have this kind of um team approach collaborative approach and everybody brings their expertise to the, the licensing process which i think is really helpful you know it's also good to know um i suppose that you know these high nature sites and um, you know, are very important um, going forward, um, that the design and the siting and the soil type is taken into consideration in establishment. Yes, it is like we, um, particularly with the land types for reforestation, is, is really um, takes any subjectivity or arguments out of the sites that could be planted. So we just, we don't go near any sites now that would have um, heather on them, for example, it would have such a low score, it would pull any application out of it. So those kind of areas that were planted historically aren't being planted anymore, you know, and we're always adding uh, new layers and new aspects into our GIS systems, like, you know, um, and we have lots of information that we've got from, from various actors from, um, you know, EPA, NPWS, and all these kind of things. Um, and they are on, on our system for, for consideration licenses. You know. Great. Um, farmers would probably want to know as well, um, going forward, are there any issues um, around woodland establishment around SACs or NHA sites? Not, not necessarily prohibitive. So these sites, all of our applications go through appropriate assessments in, term, in line with the, the Habitats Directive. So where they would interact with um, SACs or SPAs, which would be regulated by the Habitats Directive, um, they would usually get screened in for stage two appropriate assessments and they would get uh, an ecological assessment done. So it's not necessarily prohibited, but it would have to go through a very intensive um, environmental assessment, you know. The one thing I would say is that at the moment there has there isn't any afforestation in hen harrier SPAs and there hasn't been since about 2013, um, and that's kind of been parked until the outcome of uh, the hen harrier uh, threat response plan and that kind of thing. So for the moment there's no afforestation in hen harrier SPAs, but the rest of them we will consider on a case by case basis. But they do go through a stage two appropriate assessment, which is uh, quite an intensive uh, scrutiny of the applications, you know. The native woodland establishment scheme seems to be um, attractive to landowners um, who would like to plan, plant forestry. Can you tell us a little bit about the scheme and some of the benefits, um, Ken, please? Yeah, well, the native woodland scheme, under the, the afforestation schemes, we have a number of different grant and premium categories. So it goes, I think there are 12 categories and the native woodland scheme is planted under categories nine or 10. So under that scheme, we have five different scenarios types for, for the for the woodland so essentially it looks at the site type the soils and everything else and we would then then try and identify the most appropriate native woodland type for the soil type and the site and the elevation and everything else so it it goes through um the, the normal processes of the application comes in people the landowners who work for the forester the application comes into us and we would assess it and 
on its various merits and that and you on top of that then the, the landowner gets a capital grant which would cover all the costs for the planting and then they get a premium payment every year of over 600 euros a year for uh, for 15 years but they're real benefits to, to native woodlands you know um so a lot of the work i would do you'd be familiar with be trying to promote it for the benefits for water quality i think the benefits for biodiversity and carbon are probably fairly widely uh, known you know the trees can become quite good pollinators actually certain species you know and everything else but it's probably less widely known, you know, that there's the benefits for protection of water. So they have a real, a real role to play, I think, in terms of um, the reduction in sediment mobilization and runoff into water, into water courses on agricultural land in particular. Uh, the intercept uh, nutrient runoff, particularly phosphorus, uh, because, you know, through in soil, improved soil infiltration. And they play, do a lot of, obviously have a role in bank stabilization. They uh, provide a lot of food and uh, into aquatic ecosystems. They play a role in, in shading and cooling, you know, the, of, of freshwater. Like you know, they have a real role in uh, improving freshwater ecosystems, and there's a lot of research out there to back that up as well, especially in agricultural headwaters. They also have a, a really important role in in uh, the regulation of flood water through the flowing uh, flowing the flow, and their their role as a natural water re retention measure or a nature-based solution for floods. And uh, they obviously do do a lot in, in riparian restoration, obviously as well, you know, but we're always, I should say, we're always looking at uh, reviewing these schemes and trying to improve the schemes and, and looking at ways we can try and promote their use uh, and, and increase their uptake. You know, we plant several hundred hectares of native woodland uh, with various landowners every year. But um, recently we've added a few new schemes and um, we have the woodland creation on public land scheme, which is a native woodland creation and um, which is available to any state agency, local authorities and state companies. They don't get the premium payment, but they get the capital grant. Whereas the landowners or farmers will get a premium payment every year for 15 years. And we also have a woodland environmental fund, which I think is really important for, for farmers because the woodland environmental fund aims to attract in additional private funding. So under that scheme, um, where a private landowner or farmer creates a native woodland, they may be eligible to get a 1,000 euros a hectare top up upfront payment coming from a uh, private sector. So there may be additional funding available even over and above um, what we can, what the, what the department, excuse me, can, can offer. I should say as well, you know, when a, when a farmer plants native woodland, you know, the land isn't gone from their, from their use forever. We do offer two um, pinning grants as well to come in and pin out the, the trees at, uh, at year, usually around year 12 to sort of 15, and then a secondary pin, uh, maybe a bit later on. So that works out about 750 euros a year or 750 euros a hectare for the first thinning and 500 euros i think it is for the second thinning so it's just you know that the farmers can still manage and make use of these woodlands uh that they're theirs they're part they're an asset to the farm i think like you know they shouldn't just think with i planted it and i've lost that land forever you know i think what farmers really like about that scheme ken is you don't like sometimes you think when you're planting a forest you think you have to you know throw up like five ten hectares to it but it, you know, you don't. You can start off with a minimal hectare for that native woodland scheme, can't you? Yeah, the minimum area is, is the smallest point one of a hectare. You know, so it can be really, really tiny. Like you know, obviously the, the payments are um, relevant are relative to the size of the area that's paid. But yeah, you don't have to go in with um, with big areas. You can plant small areas. You know, um, certainly we would encourage areas that have been planted that you know small crops of woodland even will go a long way in terms of water protection. You know that. Quite, quite a lot of the, the pressures and water quality can just arise from a single critical source area or from one single flow path across the field. So as long as the small crops of woodland is planted to intercept that overland flow, 
you know, it can have real benefits for, uh, for, for the water quality. You don't need to plant a big, long strip of riparian woodland along the field. It can be targeted very specifically in certain areas. And like we have done work with other, with other people, you know, in other, you know, in terms of think, things around protection of drinking water and that kind of thing, you know, using the small planting, small areas of native woodland um, to protect drinking water sources, for example. You know. So there are lots of roles for, for just something as simple as uh, a small group of trees, you know, that can be massive, massively uh, beneficial, you know. Has there been much uptake in, in the agroforestry scheme? Yeah, well, the agroforestry scheme um, was, it was introduced at the start of the last forestry programme in 2015, and then it was revised and the payments were increased a little bit in the mid-term review. So just, I suppose for those who don't know, agroforestry is the practice of growing trees while continuing agriculture on the same piece of land. Now, there are lots of different types of agroforestry. The one that the department promotes at the moment is a silver pasture system, which promotes the growth of grass in amongst the trees. So uh, landowners can still you know, uh, take cuts off from a grey sheep in amongst them and that kind of thing. And, you know, the real benefits there, even in terms of agroforestry for water quality, because it improves soil infiltration uh, massively. And I would encourage maybe some, some, of the, um, some of the farmers to maybe even just Google the Pont Bren project in Wales, which is a farmer-led project in Wales, which saw huge benefits um, to planting trees on land, uh, you know, in terms of not just the benefit of water quality, but also um, for their, their own livestock and animal welfare and everything else. So some of the studies there showed that uh, land, animals could stay on the, ground, on the land for up to 17 weeks longer. And that obviously reduces, you know, um, the slurry being produced and everything else as well. And then the risk of the root nutrient runoff and all that kind of thing helps, helps to, or is reduced. But at the moment we have, uh, to answer your question here, that there are 16 um, a, uh, agroforestry areas which, which have been approved and have been planted. And we've another 13 in the system. So it's not, it's not a huge amount. But um, like it's like it, it is a new thing, you know. Whereas the, the forestry schemes are the same when they came out first. It took a, a bit of time to get a bit of traction, and quite often, you know, you need kind of champions in areas and people to plant up and, and then plant plant a few trees into the neighbours and see. Well, actually, this this is quite is working quite well. And um, I know that quite a lot of farmers who have planted are using their their farms as demo sites. You know, Chagas have, have used a few people, um, you know, to bring. You know the uh, the farm evening farm walks doing that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I think I think it's it's slow. It's a bit of a slow burner, but I, I would love to see more people take it up. Obviously, because I think the benefits are massive. You know, plus the farmers can carry on their agricultural activity in and amongst the trees. And as the trees get older as well, the trees can be thinned out. You know, we want to keep and maintain the growth of the grass sward as well. It's not about you know the, you know, the, the grass eventually dying away as the trees grow up and start to close canopy. So I think you know it's important that it. The trees are planted at a much lower density. You know, the plants are 400 trees per hectare, whereas, say, the native woodland scheme, we plant 3,300 trees per hectare. So, I'll show you the reduction trees. So, it really is very agricultural uh, focused scheme. You know, and once we want farmers to be able to carry on agriculture practice on it, you know. Yeah, Ken, going back to the commercial side there, um, anyone building a house at the moment will tell you that the price of timber has gone to the roof there in the last six months. But uh, going back to the last maybe year, maybe a bit more, farmers having some issues trying to get felling licenses. Uh, where are we now with that hole up? Are we on top of it now or where are we? Yeah, I think the first thing to do is to acknowledge the backlog. You know, um, it's been a tough time. I know for landowners and for farmers, it's been tough for us as well, to be honest. Uh, in the department, it's been a real slog the last couple of years. But um, the initial backlog occurred following um, a review of our appropriate assessment procedures, really, uh, which came as a result of certain Court of Justice of the European Union decisions and their application in the, in the national courts. 
So it's been a massive undertaking the last couple of years. Um, but I think a huge, new, a huge number of new staff have been recruited by the department and a, a massive amount of resources have been put into place into the licensing and inspections. And we're starting to see improvements now, you know. Um, so just before the, the, the interview here, I checked the, some of our figures. So I look back there, like June was the highest month, month for the issuing of private selling licenses in over five years. So going back way before this, this issue even occurred. Which that included 226 private selling licenses at an average rate of about 50 private selling licenses a week. So in total, the department was issuing an average of about 95 licenses in the seven weeks to the end of June, which was an increase of uh, 50% in the previous year. So I hope that we've, we've uh, turned a corner in, in terms of licensing, but also in terms of there are other initiatives also going on as well. Some people might be, might be familiar with Project Woodland, which is going on at the moment. And I think that might bring about further improvements in licensing efficiency and output, you know. But um, I think as well, from our, my own perspective, I think, you know, the, the, our approach to licensing and everything uh, and, li and in, uh, field assessments and everything else has really improved a lot uh, over the last couple of years. And then, um, you know, especially more recently with the new resources and everything we have. So I really I think in the long term, the sector will be in a much better place, you know. But I do think it's important as well to acknowledge the sector, the work that the forestry sector has done to, um, you know, save, similarly to ourselves, they've had to um, put a lot of additional resources into their own various companies. Um, farmers and landowners as well have come on board, because some many of them supplying NASs with their applications and everything else. So I think everybody, from the farmer to the companies, uh, to the department here as well, um, has really put the shoulders to the wheel over the last couple of years. and. Uh, I think it's important to acknowledge everyone that was involved and it's not just not just ourselves, I think, you know. But hopefully it's time to come on, hopefully. You know? No, look, look, it's, it's clear, like, there's lots of great benefits and, and options for landovers in forestry at the moment. And, Ken, thanks a million for the update because, um, you know, it's a kind of a subject area. We're not all full on the landowner side. You know, it's not something we do on a day-to-day -day basis, so it's, it's great to get the information. So thanks a million for your time. Thank you, Ken. No problem at all. Thanks, Carl. Thanks, Deirdre. That's it for this episode of the Chagask Environment Edge podcast. Thanks to Ken Buck, Forestry Inspector in the Environment Section of the Department of Agriculture for joining us on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Cahal Summers. And I'm Georgia Glenn. Join us next time for the Chagas Environment Edge podcast signpost to farm sustainability.